spend more time investigating the role of women in cinema and television, it becomes more apparent that any number of examples of unconscious discrimination are happening, affecting a number of different subgroups all the time. One of the categories most affected is disability. Even the word itself holds negative connotations, as today we attempt to refine the way we should be speaking about our fellow humans. This episode of Beyond Bechdel is centred around an informative and humorous discussion with Courtney Hodgkiss, a writer, journalist and comic who has spent a lot of time working in the music and comedy industries. Courtney is funny and intelligent as she discusses the business of entertainment. She also self-identifies as disabled, battling a chronic form of Crohn's disease. At one point during the conversation, Courtney says that her condition was partly the impetus for her pursuit of comedy writing, which to me is amazing to take something so positive from something horrible that's happened to her. Courtney has a refreshing take on what disability might mean. Here is our conversation in which you'll become very familiar with the sound of my laugh. Enjoy. Hello, Courtney. Hi. So, we are recording this from a very quiet, luckily, pub (laughs) in North London, and um, I think that the way that we met, and the reason why we're here today, is because of female solidarity and also the power of Twitter. Sisterhood. Yeah! (laughs) So, um, do you want to maybe talk about why you decided to tweet that day? Can you set the scene? Um, I tweet pretty much every day, um, because I'm a furious person, (laughs) and I spend a lot of time on my own. Um, and I also find Twitter a very interesting way of being able to reach out to people that you normally wouldn't be able to contact. Um, I think as we were discussing off the mic before, neither of us use Facebook. Um, Not anymore. No, I came off of it when (laughs) I realised they had all my data and were using it for nefarious purposes, (laughs) but I'd also really started to hate it, um, because it was the same three stories and the same three people that just kept appearing constantly, and quite frankly, I didn't really know them and I didn't really care. No. Um, And I find with Twitter, you have a lot more control of what you see and who you interact with. Um, And yeah, I was... I, I can't even remember what I tweeted. I think I was being really miserable. <laughs> you were talking about how do uh, women get paid to write. Yeah. I think you were. Yeah, I think that's what yeah. it was. Because it was a tweet conversation between Dr. Becca Harrison, who was on the earlier episode of the pod talking about Star Wars, and myself, and a group of people. And uh, we were uh, healthily bitching about how hard it is to be a woman so in the media. And... Um, yeah, you said something about how how do you even get paid to, to do this? Yeah. How do I get my... No, it was actually, I remember now, it was about Becca um, pitching an article to The Guardian. That's right. Yeah, and um, uh, that was about women, uh, a female representation, and then um, she was rejected but it's because a similar article was going to be up, and then a similar article was written by a man who was also a freelancer. And um, she was uh, understandably irate about this because yep. she was probably like much better informed and also as a woman, so can speak about her own experience. 
Um, and I think you said something along the lines of, um, can you tell me how to even pitch? Was that something yeah. like that? Yeah, it yeah. was, because I'm, I'm going through this really horrible transition stage. I mean, horrible in a sense. I mean, horrible in the sense that I have no money. <laughs> um, and so effectively I was made redundant from my job in the media mm-hmm. at the conclusion of last year. So I decided, well, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, I've worked in major corporations doing media stuff and in the record industry and all this quote-unquote kind of cool stuff. Um, but it, 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 it ends up not being cool. It ends up just being one male boss after the other. And I think they were also a very specific type of man. They were all alpha, alpha men um, and really wanted to assert their dominance on their department and their their hierarchy over their staff. Did you think that's about... Did, did they need to show those characteristics in order to get to that position? Or was it um, about... Because there seems to be a relationship there between if you exhibit those characteristics, do you make it further up the career ladder, especially in media? I think, I think they probably think that's the case. And I think nine times out of ten, what, what it does more than anything is rub people up the wrong way and particularly the people that you want to be impressing. Mm. Um, so that was fun. Um, so anyway, I mean, I've, I've rambled somewhat. <laughs> I want to do this. I'm sorry, listener. I also have terrible <laughs> hay fever, so I'm sorry for blowing my nose a lot. Um, this is a difficult woman. Stop <laughs> apologising. I'm really good at blasting these stereotypes. <laughs> I'm excellent at apologising for stuff that isn't my fault. <laughs> Really, really oh, good if only it. that was a job, I'd fight you for it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd win. Um, so, yeah, I decided, look, I trained as a journalist um, 100 years ago. Um, <laughs> it's what I'm good at. Um, I'm a writer. Uh, do look at my blog, uh, forkinthetoaster.blogspot. Um, <laughs> we'll give more details at the end. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I need more views. Come on, people. Um, yeah, and I thought, right, I'm, I'm just going to start doing this full-time. I'm going to freelance, work yeah. from home, be my own boss, obviously make absolutely no money, but <laughs> be creatively free yeah. and actually do something that I want to get up to, to do yeah. of a morning. Um, so that's not really happening. <laughs> well, it, it's early days, yeah, but yeah. do you want to, like, do, do you know what the struggle is? Have you identified what the issue is? Yeah, um, contacts, like a contact. Yeah. Um, so I'm Australian originally, um, so all my contacts from this world of writing are Australian, and they were also 15 years ago, so I've been here for 15 years now. Um, you know, half of them are probably retired. Um, and also I don't, I don't work in music journalism anymore, and I wouldn't know where to start um, because I'm not young. Um, <laughs> So, Middle-aged music journalism, I'm sure there's uh, a gap there somewhere. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've moved into that prog rock stage yet. <laughs> I think that's still to come. Um, so I, I'm pitching to a lot of people that um, I have no face to name, um, just cold calling, that kind of stuff. I've had a couple of lovely responses, but they are still thanks but no thanks. We're yes. just not hiring. Um, or looking for anything. Yeah. Um, and then I just get dead air from other mm. people, which hurts mm-hmm. because, you know, you've, you've taken the time and the effort to, you know, pour some of yourself into something you think is actually really good. And then they don't even bother to get back to you, and I find that quite rude. So you would prefer if someone said thanks but no thanks yes. quickly so yes. you could just move, move on. on. 
take well, it somewhere else. Or they might say, yeah, try again in six months or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. But it's the nothing because you don't know when it's going yeah. to come in. Yeah. yeah. And then that always makes me nervous because I have had it happen in the past where I've pitched pieces, I've heard nothing or I've got thanks but no thanks, and then I've seen the idea arrive in print by someone else. Yeah. And, oh, the rage that you feel when yeah. that happens. That's hard because... I found that when I was working in journalism, yeah. I did a lot of it. I'd, I'd, I'd only freelance for a very little amount of time because, like you, I couldn't really handle it. So, yeah. And it's like, um, and, and I wasn't able to necessarily always write about things I wanted to write about, too, yeah. which is another thing you have to do. So not only do you have to pitch things constantly that might be taken by someone else, but also you have to pitch things that you think the audience will want. And yeah. it's not always what you want to write about in the first instance. Yeah. Um, but I think with the with the pitching and someone taking the ideas. I don't know if you saw that there was this... Um, I, I saw that, again, everything I see is on Twitter because apparently I don't talk to people <laughs> for the podcast. Um, uh, I saw this really interesting debate um, where <clears throat> a woman in America called out another woman, they're both journalists, I think, saying, oh, she took my work. Okay. And it was actually one of these cases where, from, you know, from, from as far as I can see, that they'd actually come up with quite a similar idea, but the more you looked at the two pieces they wanted to write, they were actually not the, not same, the same, because each because each person has a has a unique point of view. Okay. Um, and I think then um, when I was talking to Beck Harrison, when we were on the initial conversation where you joined, um, I also asked, because I briefly worked at The Guardian, whether um, the person who did write the article that she was pitching for, that again, the guy got the article instead of her, um, was a staff writer, because I know as well that... Um, you know, journalism in general, the, the pay has never been good, but it seems to be even worse nowadays. Yeah. I wondered if that was the reason, because, of course, you need to pay your staff before you hire your freelancers. Yeah. And then she said, no, he was a freelancer as well. So, mm. you know, we can extrapolate any kind of thing out of that. But, you know, if you're going to be really harsh and think of the worst-case scenario, in her sense, I thought maybe the person just picked the favourite person or the person who came to them first. I, I don't Cheaper really person? know. Maybe, but again... I I can imagine that you um, and Becca would both, you know, maybe waive your fees or change your fees in order to get published in The Guardian, which maybe you shouldn't, but... Um, no, 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 it's no. the exposure. Hi, The Guardian. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I will work for food at this point. <laughs> Don't forget my book. <laughs> we'll get to your love of comedy. <laughs> um, it's... It is hard it's hard yeah. for anyone is it harder as a woman i don't know it, it poss- possibly with the the number of men in editor positions yeah. or you know who can pick and choose what they think people want to read because you know part of what i want to do with this podcast is make things more homogenous but i think it's a fact that whether you're um, a man, a woman, or trans—you have a completely different, sorry, That's completely not... different um, experience in the workplace, and yeah. uh, we can all develop more empathy. But maybe it might be impossible to completely understand what readers may want who aren't of a similar gender, age. Totally. Yeah, socially economic class. Yeah, I mean, um, so one of my pitches that I got nothing yeah. from. Um, Yet. Uh, no, trust me, I'm not going to hear anything on this one. It was, it was some time ago. Um, it was for a women's magazine. 
Okay, so there we go. So we've got I, a demographic. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. I've got nothing. And was the editor, were you pitching to a man or a woman? Woman. A woman, okay. Yeah. Um, I'd never read the magazine before. Mm -hmm. I'm not a girly girl. I don't wear makeup. I really don't care about fashion. Um, I'm disabled, so what I care about is comfort and ease of movement. Yeah. Um, Looked through this magazine and just went, oh, God, how am I going to come up with anything um, but worked on it for about a week, sent something through, didn't hear anything, obviously have just misstepped because it is very hard to put yourself into a role that you know nothing about. No. And it, particularly when that's only just for, say, one day. Yeah. And then you're back out of it again. So you but don't have to is, invest in it. You don't really know what they thought when they received yeah. your pitch. That's another problem with not getting any feedback. Precisely. Is that you are going to think about the worst case scenario because that's what we do. Yeah. But it could just be that there wasn't room for it or there were, like, you know, 50 different submissions that day they didn't get round to. There are, there are various things that might have absolutely nothing to do with the idea or the quality of your writing. But the thing is, if people don't give you anything back then you don't know. And you just go on this shame spiral. And you just, like, <laughs> particularly when you spend so much time at home on your own, um, which is just the nature of my, my condition, my illness, and also what I'm trying to accomplish here. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you really start to, to doubt yourself. Um, and I think not being well feeds into that as well because, you know, you, when you feel physically unwell, you, your mental state does not does not, you know fight against that it just goes straight with it so do you want to talk about that now so firstly um you called yourself disabled earlier and I wanted to Mm -hmm. ask you that because I think there's lots of discussion at the moment about whether we should even be using the word disabled because of the negative connotations against you know you're still able to do lots of different things so I don't know how you feel about that um I kind of feel like I'm reclaiming it for myself um because a lot of people were tiptoeing around the subject because this is reasonably new for me. Um, so basically what's happened, because um, no one can see me, obviously, which is the nature of audio, <laughs> um, I, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease uh, nine years ago. Um, it's a severe case. I, throughout those nine years, have been put on every single treatment available on the market None of them have worked or have had extremely bad reactions to them and nearly died a couple of times. I'm very good at nearly dying. (laughs) Um, And most recently I was given a brand new drug uh, who was meant to have absolutely pretty much no side effects. Um, Unfortunately, it's a sister drug to chemo. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I mean, you're not messing around with these drugs. They're they're really serious, serious things. Um, and I developed something called peripheral neuropathy, um, which is when the nerve endings in your fingertips and in your feet burn off. Oh. Um, so it is like uh, someone stabbing you constantly in the oh, foot. Goodness. Um, so that was a side effect of the drug? It was the side effect of the drug. Did they help with the Crohn's? Uh, remarkably. <laughs> or could you not tell because you were in too much pain in your fingers and toes? I'd, I'd only been on it for. Uh, that was after the fourth fourth infusion. So I hadn't been on it a huge amount of time. I felt like it was actually working, but I would, I would swap. 
That's the, the pain. The Crohn's yeah. can be pain any day. Yeah. Any day. I mean, I also live with a stoma, um, which is a lot of people just know it as a colostomy bag, which is actually okay. not the correct phrase. It, uh, so you refer to it as a stoma and a stoma bag. Uh, so there's a little tip of the day. <laughs> um, which is also very challenging, particularly when you can't feel your fingertips. So trying to change the yes. bag and empty the bag is a messy, messy, upsetting sometimes business. I can imagine. And it really damages your confidence, particularly when you first have it and you're scared to go out in case it leaks and you have to change it in public, yeah. which is very awkward. Yeah. Um, so when I ended up having the peripheral neuropathy and I then developed something called muscular atrophy, which means the muscles in my legs have wasted um, due to lack of use because I wasn't walking on my feet because it hurt too much, vis-a-vis, um, I've ended up with a stick. Um, and I'm very lucky to not be in a wheelchair, to be honest, at this point. Um, may still happen, don't know. Um, but, you know, try. Oh, I'm trying everything to make that not happen. Um, I can't remember what I was saying. <laughs> I was talking about um, disability and yeah. what you and you said you wanted to reclaim yeah. the world. I mean, the, the problem I was having was I was clearly in pain when I was walking, but before I had the stick, people didn't understand that something was seriously, seriously wrong. And I was actually going to say that. I was going to say to look at you. Yeah. I don't think I would know. I would say that you, you, you look quite small. You're quite I'm thin. I'm extremely thin. <laughs> yeah. you, you're, one, you're one of these women that wants to put weight on. I really need to put weight <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, but I would say yours is, is almost a disability that could be hidden. Yes. And certainly if it you weren't considered. looking for it. Yeah. So when I was still using the tube, I um, got one of those blue badges that says, please offer me a seat. Mm-hmm. No one. No one does. Really? No, no one. I, I was shocked. Yeah. Um, I apologise on behalf of everyone is, in London. It is not your fault. <laughs> I would offer you a seat. Um, but I, think, I, I don't think it's necessarily out of rudeness a lot of the time. I think people are just so absorbed in their own life. They yes. don't look up, which is why the Look Up campaign uh, that has just yeah. started is very important. Um, but with the stick, it makes things a lot more visible. Um, and people are a bit nicer. I, 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 I get help in the shop when yeah. it looks like I'm struggling. Yeah. Um, and I don't find that patronising. I actually find that very sweet. Okay. Um, I can understand why some people would find it patronising. Um, but I generally am struggling. So I think it's nice. Um, but you needed a visual aid in order for I needed people a visual to do aid. that. Yeah. A, uh, people are busy and people are in their own worlds. Um, and plenty of people don't give up their seats for a variety of conditions, I suppose. But um, it's also, it's a little bit like, you know, drawing a parallel with feminism, like I like to do with everything. Mm. Um, uh, it, it, that basically sounds like it was the, the onus was on you Definitely. to let people know about Definitely. your disability and which even though I'm asking you in this podcast no. I, mean, I can imagine there's something you probably don't want to tell people all the time it, you don't want it to be your defining um, characteristic it's kind of become my defining characteristic over the last six months and that's not something that's actually been in my control it is just the way things have gone um but I, yeah it is it is just a part of my character um you know I'm piss funny like I think <laughs> And I think that is one of the ways I cope with this as yeah. well. Like, like humour <laughs> is a massive deflection for me. Yeah. Um, 
And a skill. Not everyone is funny. <laughs> I think. I think. I think when you get really good at nearly dying, like it's a skill you acquire <laughs> very quickly because otherwise you're just going to cry. Yeah. Quite um, a high pra- price to pay. I like, know. For a sense I of know. Humor. Like there's not enough fentanyl in the world for this. For this. Um, yeah, I, I I don't want it to become something where I go, hi, I'm Courtney, I'm disabled, mm-hmm. or hi, I'm disabled and I'm Courtney. Yeah, which is even worse. Even worse. Yeah. Um, and I used to really resist telling people I had Crohn's because it's an embarrassing disease. Yeah. Um, but now I have something additional, um, which is not my fault, um, and is visible. I'm much more comfortable with telling people very openly about about my condition because I think I think awareness needs to be needs to be brought to people. Yeah. And I know it's depressing and I know people don't like talking about sick people. Um, but tough because mm. people are sick mm-hmm. and they need your support. Mm. And you know, my family's all on the other side of the world. Mm. Um, so support for me can be very difficult to obtain. Mm-hmm. I mean phone bills to my mother are just hideous. Can yeah. How come you moved over here fifteen years ago? Oh do you really want me to answer that? <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> I used to be a DJ back home, and I was a Britpop DJ. What's and I was wrong obs- with that? Because it's Britpop. <laughs> yeah, but in the day, in back the, then, it was cool that was probably the, the coolest thing to be. Um, so I did that for like, oh, like six years, I think. So Blur versus Oasis was oh, like always Oasis, <laughs> always Oasis. <laughs> By the way, Liam Gallagher is actually playing at Finsbury Park tonight, which I oh. did not know. So just be aware of crowds. <laughs> um, yeah, so I decided, ah, stuff this. I'm I'll, in Melbourne. I'll, come, I'll come to the home. I'm coming of to Britpop. the source. <laughs> yeah. And I never meant to move to London. I'm, I meant to move to Manchester. Yeah, which would have made more sense. Yeah. Or, or, or Essex, wherever Blair comes yeah, from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or that you're Oasis. I'm not moving to Colchester. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's very nice for anyone that lives in Colchester. I've been to Colchester, I've been to Manchester. I prefer Manchester. Yeah, Manchester's fun. It's yeah. really, it's a really vibey city. Um, and then I just got stuck in London, as you do, because you have to, you have to get a job and you have to pay for stuff yeah. because your money goes. In and like allegedly, two the, the opportunities are greater here. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> apparently, and um, the accents are cooler up there. Um, and then it's the traditional thing of I fell in love with my boss and I married him. <gasps> It's all coming out. Oh, I know, I know. This is why I make a podcast. <laughs> I don't care about feminism, I just want some gossip. I feel like I'm on Oprah. <laughs> I can't give you a car. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, I can give you a SoundCloud um, subscription. Yeah, that's, that's about as good, good as this That's getting. good. You can introduce me to some like young people's music. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I moved here. Right. Um, but then obviously I was, I was in perfect health. Back then. Yeah. So I was 24 then. And this hit me, um, oh, just after I turned 30. Um, so. That's really interesting because you have experience of the world of relationships, of working, of how everyone treats you as a healthy person mm-hmm. and as a disabled person mm-hmm. and a person with an illness. Um, so, um, yeah, what do you think of the. Um, greatest challenges that you found um you are you are really looked at as a second-rate citizen even if the, the person doing it doesn't think they're doing it 
So it's an unconscious thing as well yeah, as it's conscious. Huge unconscious bias. Yeah. Huge. And I, I understand that people are very good at saying the right thing. Mm-hmm. And they're also very good at never following through on doing any of that. So all this absolute crap about, you know, we're here to support you, just tell us whatever you need, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we'll make all these amendments and, you know, shorter hours, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't happen because because there's a job that needs to be done and they're under pressure, which then puts me under more pressure. It's very, very frustrating yeah. because then you end up sacrificing your own health, particularly when you're as ambitious as I am. Um, I always wanted to get ahead and I always wanted to progress. And this has just stopped me. It's, it's like glass ceiling plus bricks on top of it. Um, did you... Yeah. Um, did your condition begin when you were working? Yes. And you were working as a music journalist? I was working in the music industry, yeah. um, but not as a journalist. Okay. <clears throat> um, and so, did you notice things happening? I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued about, because like we can talk yeah. about what it's like to be an able-bodied woman in the music biz, and we can talk about what it's like to be disabled, but I'm interested in, I'm also interested, should I say, in um, whether you've noticed a transition, because I feel like that might be a point at which we can really, like, you know, deep dive and try and work out what it is that needs to be done. Did you Um, still have... Did you have to take time off work? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. When I was first diagnosed, um, I was off for three months. Um, which, considering last year I was off for nine, um, was actually, you know, not that bad in the scheme of things. Um, Not a transition so much, just, like, particularly with this one job. It was just this lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. It was like, number one, Crohn's is is a very misunderstood and and poorly poorly recognised disease anyway. I think it's getting better now. I feel like it's getting better. Well, that's more. because it was almost only a, a recent, fairly recently kind of, yeah. yeah, like almost diagnosed or what have you, classified. Yeah. I mean, it was diagnosed in the 30s, um, but, you know, there was like five people in the world. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Um, and it seems to have, it seems to have been this onset of people getting it since we are eating processed food we are bleaching stuff too much no kids go out and eat dirt anymore it's like it's an immune system yeah. thing so basically. it's not stress i thought maybe stress mine is brought on by stress <laughs> i'm a very stressed person <laughs> i do not know how to handle it very well um and that was a really big factor at work so when i would get stressed at work i would get sick um and spend a lot of time in work toilets with awful awful work toilet paper <laughs> and, and I mean, it is really painful after a yes. while to the point. Where I'm sorry to laugh at no, you. You're just have so to. humorous. <laughs> but um, like, I was bringing my own toilet paper to work because I was just I, I I'm being cut to ribbons here because yeah. I was having, as if you need that as well as I know, else. right? Because um, I was having to go 20 times a day. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, it, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Um, and much like the way I look now, which is not good, dear listener, um, I, I just started dropping weight, like, really, really rapidly. I can imagine if you go 20 times a day. Yeah. And, like, you can't keep any food yeah. in you. Um, nausea is unbelievable. Um, so, I mean, at the moment, I'm really struggling with eating 
because every time I eat, I feel like I want to be sick. Oh, God. Uh, it's, it's horrid. It is, because eating can be such a pleasure. I was a massive foodie. Yeah. Oh, I am a massive yes. foodie. It's going to come back. Yeah, it will. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's just another thing that is, is a kick in the gut, if you'll excuse the pun, <laughs> um, about this disease. And, yeah, it's just the absolute lack of understanding. Um, sometimes really flabbergasts me. Yeah. Um, so what, okay, so let's use this as a public service announcement. Okay. What can you, do you have any tips that you can recommend to anyone who is an employee or an employer in any business? It doesn't have to be in the media business, although I would say that's a very stressful business mm. per se, although work is stressful, isn't it? Mm. Is there anything, I mean, let's, let's apart be... from toilet paper, yeah. which I think should be, you know... The bottom line, here you I go, know, I'm joining I know, in. I know it sounds ridiculous, but, I mean, something that simple can really make a difference yeah. to someone. Um, or even just addressing it with them and saying, would you like us to supply you with extra facilities? Would you yes. like us to make sure that people are not using the disabled toilet mm. for phone calls? Um, so just, just be respectful. Like, think of... Think of it if your kid had this. How would you want them to be treated? Um, I mean, it's not difficult to have some human empathy. We're not looking, we're not looking for sympathy and a shoulder to cry on. No. We just want to be normal, yeah. like everyone else. Treated the same as everybody Exactly. Else. And it's not hard to make tiny little adjustments to make that happen. I'm excited. Finally, we could return the compliment. <laughs> it's, it's tremendous to be here. Now, now you two have, have been performing together for, for decades. Oh, there's no need to get like that about sorry, it. Sorry. Yes, we're ancient. Um, well, I'm, I'm just wondering... There's a bit of an age difference here, too. Let's, I know let's we be clear look, about that. Yeah, we look the same well, age, though. There's <laughs> quite a difference. And that's what working with Denise does to me. <laughs> about the transition from music to comedy because it sounds like yeah you had some thoughts on I'm interested to know mm. fell out love with Britpop how dare you oh my you? god <laughs> uh, well when Shed 7 split up you know it was just over for me <laughs> um, it's weird I peripherally worked in comedy since I was a kid because my best mate back home is a comedy producer so I was roped into <laughs> I was, uh, Toby, I still will never forgive you for this. Um, I was roped into flyering at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, oh. um, like on the street for like four hours a night <sighs> with 75,000 other performers <laughs> just handing out um, their production companies flyers. I ended up not even getting paid because there was some mix-up with my tax because I had another job at the same time. Uh, I was like, ah, oh my God, all of that for nothing. Uh, um, and then I also spent an entire Melbourne Comedy Festival working in the Hi-Fi bar where we had to bump in and out three shows a night and then do the festival club afterwards. So I was working from 5pm to 5am, six nights a week. <sighs> yeah. Intense. Yeah, I was, I was. Well, that's the comedy circuit as well, isn't it? Everything yeah. is something, you know, it's all centered around late night booze and exactly. you know, laughter. It's all, it's all related. I've always found that it's funny a because lot I think. Of drugs. <laughs> it was a lot of drugs at that festival. <laughs> My God, some of the stories I could tell you, and I'd be sued some of them too. Such a tease. <laughs> um, 
You needed to keep awake for the sounds of it. That'd well, be I think, useless. I think I think the comedians needed to keep awake. My God. Well, you do hear about a lot of comedians uh, becoming alcoholics. I don't know about drug addicts, but oh, probably yeah. as well. well but I, I can imagine that, it, that that type of job lends itself to, like, uh, well, you, you, you're not keeping normal hours. Well, no comedian is happy. So they don't they, seem to be. No, I mean, like you don't you don't choose to go make other people feel happy because you feel particularly good about yourself. But there's that bit. So it, I always thought that it was the the sense of someone laughing with you that you make like the control or the power. I think there's an element of that definitely yeah. validation. I but I think validation yeah. is the right word to use. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to make one exception to that no comedian is happy thing, and that's Adam Hills because Hills is just general generally like the happiest man on earth he was one of the shows I had to bump in and bump out okay and he was so polite to us behind the bar um he bought us all a bottle of champagne on the last night and like the other act who I won't mention kind of just ignored us um whenever I go through security people get freaked out since uh, September 11 because I've got an artificial foot my right foot's artificial and uh you can never tell people that when you're a comedian and have them believe you I went through Heathrow Airport four days after the September 11 attacks. In amongst all the fear and terror surrounding September 11, the reaction to my foot was hilarious. Because <laughs> I walked through the middle of text, going, they're right, come over here, put your arms out, put your arms out, and they started to pad me down. Right, what's going on down there? And all I said to the guy was, oh, it's an artificial foot. And he just went, oh, jeez, go through, mate. No, just go through. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was very thankful and grateful. And I'm really pleased that he's here now and, yeah. and doing so well. Yeah. Um and you know he's representing Australia very well. Yeah. Um so I'm not really working in comedy. Um I've, I've written some sets that I'm gonna do for stand-up. Problem is I can't stand up. Um <laughs> And I want to be able to stand up to, to be able to give a better stage performance. I think we can then workshop the name of your comedy uh, <laughs> skit. Well, I'd like to do stand up, but I can't. Um, <laughs> one, of my, one of my good mates who I've met through, through being disabled and, and through okay. being interested in comedy, um, and all these people come out of the woodwork, and they're so supportive and they're so wonderful, um, is this chap called Chris McCausland. Um, he's been on. He's been on live at the Apollo. He was. Um, it was actually repeated uh, Sunday night, I think. Um, and he's blind, and he's off to do a show in Edinburgh. And it's just got the best name. I just. I love it. It's, it's called Speaky Blinders. <laughs> I love it. And I just. I just thought that, that is such a good gag. That is a really good gag. But um, yeah. So I mean, that, that's the. That's the. That's the one positive thing about being disabled is that you get so much support. From so many other people, from from corners of the universe that you didn't even know existed, until someone puts you in touch with someone who puts you in touch with someone, much, yes. much in the way that we, we met. met. Yeah. Um, and I'm 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 delighted by that. Yeah. And I feel like it's a little, even though I kind of only peripherally know a lot of these people, I feel like it's a little family. Yeah. Um, and I can imagine that. Um, uh, yeah, speaky, speaky blinders being yeah. an example of this. That uh, one of the points of comedy is taking the thing that you have or the thing that irks you and making a repetitive joke yeah. about it. It does seem to be of all the kind of types of performance that you can get, the one that most easily lends itself to disability or difference. Yeah, in I any think. Way. I think my, my friend Toby, the, the chap I was telling you about from back home, he, he makes a very good point. 
Um, when he says, look, if you get up on stage and there is something visibly wrong with you, you have to take the piss out of that first because otherwise they will. Yes. Um, so you need to address that because otherwise people will spend the entire performance sitting there going, what's wrong with her? Which sounds quite stressful, but also that it feels like there's power. Yeah, I think there that. is. It's totally, it's totally taking, taking back the, the ability for anyone to make you feel negative about something because you've already made fun of it yourself. It's quite a self-destructive thing, in a, in a sense, if you're not grounded enough to understand where mm-hmm. this is coming from. Um, but, I mean, as you can, as you've probably experienced, I, I use humour as a deflection mechanism all the time. And I don't know where that came from. I really don't. And it certainly hasn't always been there. And just, I, yeah, just a coping mechanism I think that you've it developed? Is. Yeah, I think it is. And I think I never used to be this um, outspoken. I, never be, I used to be incredibly shy. And I think being sick has actually made me stronger. And I'm a lot less willing to take any shit from anyone. So you wouldn't be who you are today no. if you didn't have your disability no. and it has given you confidence. In a sense. Yeah. Mostly because it's been forced upon you. Yeah. And I'm guessing because with something like Crohn's, you know, it's embarrassing as well. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, um, so therefore you've kind of had to go through these horrible situations and yeah. what else can you do but laugh and turn it to your advantage. Yeah. But I feel like in a, you know... In your world where things have, you know, had negative turns, that's a huge positive mm. to look at the things that have happened to you and be able to turn them into your strengths. It, it is. And, I mean, I, I really don't want to sugarcoat this. I have really bad days. I mean, I have, I have shocking days. I was lying in bed until 1 o'clock this afternoon going, I don't want to come. I don't want to come. <laughs> I wouldn't have known it. <laughs> And it would have been um, okay to say no, but I'm so glad that no, you said I, yes. I won't do that because I, I don't I don't want to use my illness as an excuse to wriggle out of things. Yeah. Um, and, and it's very easy to do that. And I think I, I have been guilty of doing that before. People wriggle out of things with, you know, with li- less excuses. You know, yours yeah. would be far more justified. So something I want to pick up on. Yes. Um, is that you've obviously talked about comedy yes. and you've talked about three male comedians uh-huh. who've helped you. Yes. Um, <laughs> and off mic, you were talking about how, uh, you know, you get very angry about people thinking that women aren't funny. Mm. I do. I do. There's, there's this, this hideous kind of stigma that's always kind of stuck around. I don't know if this is more of a Melbourne thing. Maybe it's not so much here. I mean, London's a much more modern city. Um, Australia Whatever can- you're going to say, I'm absolutely convinced it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a very like confident arm press you just did there. Um, because I think you're going to say people think women aren't funny. Yeah, yeah. People think women, women aren't funny. When we say people, like at first we we mean men, but actually I think we also mean women. So I just I just wanted to jot down some female comedians because I, I watch a lot of television comedy. So basically, Comedy Central is my lifeblood. Um, and I was kind of going, oh, God, all the stuff I watch is really male-centric. It's, it's really, really... So I'm really into um, American news panel shows. Okay. So, like, my life's goal is to be a correspondent on The Daily Show. I don't want to host The Daily Show. Trevor and I was doing fine. <laughs> um, I just want, I want to be a correspondent on The Daily Show. So I watch But I think if, they, if he left, then having a disabled Australian woman would be the perfect next... 
Marjorie. Marjorie. I have a white man. I have South African black man. I am also. Now they can have Australian white. I'm, I'm technically an American citizen still. Oh so wow! I can just get in there. So you've lived in America as well. I was born there. You're born in America. Yeah, I'm really sorry about Trump. <laughs> I couldn't vote. It's not my fault. <laughs> Where were you born? San Francisco. Oh. Yeah. And then you moved to Australia when you were young. My parents are. My mum's American and my dad's Australian. Oh. So. Um, they decided it was getting, even even back in the early 80s, it was getting a bit hairy wow. where we were. So um, they went And that's San Francisco. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, some of our friends have moved there now, and uh, they said there is a really terrible uh, problem with homeless people. Um, there is just no support for them at all. Um, there's just hundreds and hundreds of people on the street every night. Um, and they were, they were truly shocked by the poverty mm. out there. And I, I'm surprised at that. In San Francisco, in like tech city. Yes. Well, actually, funny you should say that. I went to Washington DC for the first time about three years ago, mm-hmm. and um, there were so many homeless people just sleeping mm. like in the middle of the pavement. And I did notice that there were food vans that came around and, and fed yeah, them every great. day because it was all really weird. As a tourist, you're like, I don't know what to do. Nobody was asking for money. Yeah. It was just they were just there and they had nowhere to be. And I thought, wow, of all the places, Washington DC, I was shocked at, and it's probably the same with San. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I was just excited about you being born uh, in America. gone wildly off topic. That's okay, I was Women just thinking, how did we do this? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I was talking about The Daily Show. And yes, how I have, Watch Comedy Central, yeah. you love to work on The Daily Show. Yeah, and so I thought, look, I'm just going to jot a list down. A quick list of all the female comedians that I like. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to sit here and see if I can compare any of their styles of humour to each other's mm-hmm. at all. So let me just, let me just run through these. Rasheen Connolly, Sarah Pascoe, Desiree Birch, Dolce Sloan, Rachel Paris, Sarah Millican, Desi Lydic, Catherine Ryan, Sarah Silverman, Amy Schumer, Tina Fey, Judith Lucy, Joe Flippin' Brand, anyone. Um, and may I also just mention a tiny show called Absolutely Fabulous, um, which totally passes the Bechdel test. Yeah. Um, oh, we will get there, don't you worry. <laughs> And I was sitting there looking at this and going, this is probably one of the most diverse lists of, of comedy that you can make. And it's all women. So I think, I think by making a sweeping statement that all women aren't funny, if you, if you go down a list of this many people, you will find, I guess, three minimum people that make you laugh. Mm. And you're only, you're only doing yourself a disservice, I think, by, by discounting them before you've given it a shot. So picture it, it's New York City, 2004. It's a hot, sweaty day. Everyone hates each other and everyone's broke. I know, use your imaginations. It's so hard to access. Um, and I am on my way to an audition. You know, I'm 25 years old. I'm a little go-getter actress. And I'm auditioning to be in my uh, second NYU student film. Yeah. It's a webisode. Yeah, it's basically something that a bunch of college kids younger than I am came up with while they were getting stoned on a twin bed. Um, and the character's name I'm auditioning for is Laquanvia. Yeah, because all black names are made of those 10-point Scrabble letters you don't know what the fuck to do with. Give it a shot. If you don't like him, you don't like him. There's heaps of male comedians I don't like. Well, I think that it's 
okay in one sense to say to the viewer, uh, male or female, um, to make the choice. But I think the real problem generally in any entertainment format is that it needs to change at the people who are making the decisions about what goes on TV. Damn story. When you said about Comedy Central, the first thing I thought was, well, have you looked at um, the percentage of male comedians that feature every day? Because if that's what you watch all the time... Um, and this is no judgment on you, it's judgment on Comedy Central, that it's this self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, this is something that um, people want to watch, so we'll keep putting it on. Yeah. And then never trying anything new. And if you look at something like Fleabag, for example... I've never seen that, um, and I'm so mad. It's a very, like, it's... I actually... You know, there's, like, cringe comedy. Yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is definitely, for me, within Fleabag anyway, I actually can't watch two much of it but that doesn't mean it's not funny that's specific to me and how like intensely I feel the cringe it's like my husband with The Office he can't watch The Office yes I can't watch much of The Office I want want to and then I watch it and I'm watching it through my fingers so yeah so that's that's just a personality thing but at, at the same time like when I do watch it I laugh, and it's very interesting in the way that her character breaks the fourth wall and is speaking at you. There's oh, a little okay. bit, yeah, it's a little bit um, curb your enthusiasm or something like that. It's not like anything else. I shouldn't be comparing it, but um, uh, and it's done really well. Like um, it's quite dark, the isn't well. it? It's about her dating experiences, yeah, and her. She tells it like it is. It's very, okay. yeah, it's coarse, um, but also because oh, she's a, yeah, yeah, but because she's a um, like a kind of you know posh middle class very attractive oh. woman I actually think that that makes the a little bit like Catastrophe have you seen Catastrophe with, is that the Sharon Morgan one yes no, no it's a I completely different setup. but the whole point is I think is that you get these the, the breaking of the stereotypes mm. which is that um, if you're attractive you can't be funny and I'm not saying that, that, like, you know, comedy should only be populated with attractive people as well, because that would be awful, because that, again, yeah. says that that's saying something bad about visuals versus talent. But um, it's that there's definitely this wave, I feel, at the moment, and certainly in things I watch, and I probably watch, you know, far less than you do, um, with female-driven comedies, a comedy where the, the woman... It, if you just watch it without the sound, mm. you assume a certain amount of things, I, I think, and then you yeah. see it, and and that it's very, it's very real. Like I didn't like, um, I forget what it's called, the one about Motherland that was on BBC that was all about. Oh, that was meant uh, to be really good. Wasn't yeah, it? but lots of people did. That's exactly yeah. what I want to point out and say. Not everything's my cup of tea. It's yeah. very specific about about what makes me laugh I, I found this website called waitbutwhy.com I don't know if you've ever seen it I highly recommend it to anyone and um, it was just pictures and pictures of animals and birds that and comments below the author about what these birds look like and I have never laughed so much in my oh, okay. life so I'll send that to you and you yeah, can have a look but like I couldn't tell you why but I was in hysterics yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a person that just likes funny captions beneath pictures <laughs> of birds that's my idea <laughs> so anyway and it was that he was a guy unfortunately but I don't know what the genders of the birds were <laughs> but uh, yeah all of those all of those uh, comedians that you that you mentioned yeah are all uh, they're, they're at least uh, at least they're on TV and they're carving out their own yeah but I bet you that's like a fraction of the comedians that are on Comedy Central or any and I think I think channel what you're talking about, attractive people can't be funny. I think Catherine Roy in particular mm. has encountered a hell of a lot of flack for that. And 
I think that's really, really unfair. And I think I bought into that a little bit because I'd only seen her on panel shows. And I think, you know, panel shows are scripted. A lot, of, a lot of them are not scripted by you. Yeah, having to wait for the other person to say something, then you jump in, you do a cue. And then I watched her Netflix special and she is a completely different person mm-hmm. and she's filthy and she's hilarious and she is really, really bloody funny. It's just I feel like sometimes panel shows do squash squash people because they, they're yeah. in a very tight format. It's about the kind of the categorising <coughs> because I don't want to get into this conversation where I've suddenly excluded all of the other people who don't fit the stereotype of like tall, leggy, young, yeah. pretty. Um, because I do think Joe Brand is one of the mm. one of my favourites and is so, so intelligent. I know, it's terrifying. Uh, as, as well as being so funny. And also not unattractive to me, but doesn't no. fit that stereotype of the young, tall, thin woman. Because that's, that's another category, which is that, oh, I can watch this and laugh at her because she's a slightly older, slightly crazier looking, yeah. overweight woman. Mm. Um, and I think, in a way, Joe Brand, I'm sure, has traded off of this and used it to her advantage. She does constantly. Yeah, but at the same time, it's, it's a very similar situation to you, which is that because she's had to turn the discrimination that she has into her superpower. Exactly. And it's great, and, I, and I'm glad, and I'm, she has a very successful career out of it, but I also think, God, is that what she had to do? Yeah. Because I don't think male comedians have to do that. You should read or, her autobiography. The, the stuff that she had to put up with when she was coming through uh, the scene was just abhorrent, absolutely abhorrent. Um, the worst thing is I can just imagine. Yeah. And I shouldn't be able to. I wish I was shocked. Well, it was the 80s as well. So, you know, it was just like... Even less, even fewer women. And she was a very militant feminist. So, you know, she was like the full, like, Doc Martens and and just... She she did not conform to, like, the feminine stereotype at all. No, so everyone would then call her gay. So, again, you know, that's so wrong on so many levels. One, that if you have shorter hair and dress a certain way, then, you know, you, you must be homosexual. And two, that that is an insult. So, exactly. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. Oh, shall we back to old test? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to be sat here until next week, and you're going to be really hating me. <laughs> I think it's always good to talk about female comedians. We should talk about that more. Um, so you talked about absolutely fabulous. So have you? So what have you? So have you been looking at? comedy shows then um, because I think most comedy shows absolutely fail yes especially the panel shows that you love because oh it's only oh look it's the token woman oh god yeah. that's shocking all she has it? to do is talk to <coughs> men the Frankie Boyle show actually that's on at the moment has kind of evened that out a little bit so it's Frankie Boyle and a panel of three people two of the panel of women and I think I think the MASH report um, first season I'm sorry, Mish, but it was terrible. Like, it just, it hadn't found its feet. Second season, Rachel Paris doing the Donald Trump Piers Morgan thing, which absolutely, you know, broke broke her through. And I just think it's fantastic. Um, but going back to Frankie Boyle quickly, yes. like, don't get me wrong, that's great. But what we're, that sounds like what we're aiming for is 50%. 
Yeah. When we've had years and years and years of 100% men or, you know, 75% men, let's yeah. say, or something like that. That's true. I think having Sandy Toxvig on QI, for example, which I know, you know, is comedy and isn't comedy, mm. but it's something that lots and lots of people watch. Although I, I don't know if they watch it in the same way as they did when Stephen Fry was there, but that's also because it's a much, like, uh, older show now. It's been going for a long yeah. time. But having her there already was like, wow, you get to have a Bechdel passing. show because if you know there normally is at least one other woman on the panel so therefore they talk about something which most of the time isn't a guy unless it's like you know Shakespeare or whatever they're talking about I've got a controversial opinion on QI under the um, go on under the Stephen Fry years Um, I I flatly refused to watch it because I thought it was the most misogynistic program I've ever seen I thought I thought some of the stuff that Stephen Fry came out with and I, I am a huge admirer of his and I was surprised that I was finding this in some of the dialogue. <clears throat> I was really offended, really, really offended. And I, I just, I refused, I would leave the room. One of the things about being in a, a discriminated against group is that it in no way absolves you from your ability your own not to. Yeah, exactly. And I think that I, I completely agree with you. I think some awful things have probably happened to him in his career, yeah. but I still think that it's easier to be a gay man in comedy than it is to be a woman. And I think if yeah. you're... I think you're probably yeah. right. And I think if you're a woman of colour, I think that's even harder. And then, but better these days. I think America makes a lot more strides in that than, than we do here. Um, so... Uh, two of the people I listed. <clears throat> Sorry, it's the hay fever. <laughs> um, Dolce Sloan and Desiree Birch. Um, so they're both American. One of them works primarily here. Yeah. And the other one's on The Daily Show. Um, and they're both black women um, from the States. And, you know, they're, they're incredibly bloody talented and they deserve all the success that they're getting. Um, and I don't think that they're filling a minority. I think they've got that job because they are funny. And that's the other thing I really don't agree with is quota filling. I don't want to be offered a job because someone has to tick a box that goes, she's a woman, she's disabled, and she's foreign. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, because that's a trifecta right there, isn't it? Um, I want to be offered that job because I'm the best person for it. Can I give you a controversial alternative perspective? Absolutely. If there's unconscious bias in any workplace and um, that's not going to be changed by just hiring people who are best for the job because sometimes people aren't best for the job because they can't get the experience in order to be. So I think that what you're saying is how we want the world to be and it should be. But I think there are so many men on various shows who probably aren't as good as some of the other male or female colleagues and they still get the job. So... I'm actually, and, and more as time goes on, and um, another episode of the podcast we did, I like to refer to myself just like you, uh, <laughs> so people listen to the episode. Um, another episode I did was about inclusion riders. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's all about getting the percentages up for people on that primarily was film and TV. Francis McDormand, so, wasn't it? So that's where it started from. Yeah. Well, in, in terms of getting it to the greater yeah. public, it had already been going on behind the scenes for quite a while, but she was absolutely brilliant to use your Oscar acceptance speech to mention that and it was so funny I don't know if you listened to the essay but I put the quote I put her speech in there and yeah. it's so funny because like the crowd have no idea what she's talking just about. <laughs> on the music. just 
like <laughs> stone like, mullets. This is so awkward. But anyway, so um, so I think that I'm all for positive discrimination, and mm-hmm. I mean that across every kind of possible discrimination because I think that I truly believe that you need to force this on people. Yeah. Meritocracy will come, but you can't have meritocracy until you have an equal playing field. I would would rather you had a job than some guy. (laughs) Me too. Did you hear that, listener? Like, everyone really thinks it's a good idea for you to hire me. I'm I'm just ace at everything. Seriously, that's on my CV. I listen to a lot of American podcasts, and they talk about ZipRecruiter a lot. ZipRecruiter are a big sponsor. They're they're like they're over here as well, but they're an American sponsor. Where they're at, they're an employment agency. Basically, they're a website that gets people to jobs. Kind of a LinkedIn sort of. Oh right. And um, I feel like that. Um, like on this episode, <laughs> I am your ZipRecruiter. So oh they, if God. they're listening, they can they can sponsor the pod. Oh. I would like that, and you can get a job, and everyone will be happy. Have I walked into an episode of This American Life? Yeah. <laughs> if only. Sponsored by Casper Mattress. Did you want to talk about Bechdel test in other yeah, sure. forms of um, media? So the ones that I was thinking about that could potentially pass. Yeah. One of them I'm a bit, I'm a bit confused about, so I would like your opinion on it. <laughs> I shall try. Um, but I also watch a lot of TV, so I've put some TV. No, TV's good as well. And I think, you know, more and more that, you know, we're at peak TV at the moment, aren't we? So oh, yeah. So um, it's important. Netflix is changing everything. Yeah. Okay, so number one, Neon Demon. Oh, Neon yeah. Demon totally passes it because there is nothing about men in it at all. It's about women on women, jealousy, anger, fury, you know, pretty disgusting <laughs> stuff at the end. Yes. Um, and a male director. I know, but yeah. apparently he is quite, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, takes advantage of women. Oh my uh, god! Well, I've heard he's. Not... Oh, I thought you were going to say something positive. No, it's not positive. Uh, um... uh, pa- 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 yeah. Keep going. Predatory. <laughs> Predatory. Yeah. Thank um, you. That's just what I've heard, like on the street. Sorry, sorry, winding reference. If that's not true, he's not my favourite director. No, he makes stylish films. I don't think he makes films that I. He makes video clips. I mean, yeah, they look like video clips. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the Neon Demon. But the Neon Demon, yeah. But I still loved it. Like for some reason, I just cycled it. I saw it at the pictures, and I very rarely go to the pictures. And then I watched it again on DVD, and it just it loses everything on DVD Mm -hmm. um, because it is shot so beautifully, and the colours are so rich, and the exposition of the characters is so perfect. Um, But I think that that it's so much easier to pass the Bechdel test yes. when you have so many women in your car. That is true. Um, so, I mean, that probably leads on to the other two, that are, which are really female-centric. Um, Gilmore Girls? Yeah, I love Gilmore Oh, my God, I've seen it all, like, a hundred times. I, I can, like, quote it to you. Um, <laughs> but a great deal of that is about mother-daughter-daughter conflict yes. and does not always have something to do with the Christopher character or the Luke character mm-hmm. or the Jess character. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just old family tensions. They don't understand each other that, you know, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So I think that passes. Absolutely. Yes. And it's not all sweetness and light as well. Beaches. Oh, yes. Which is just bizarre because so but much you, you, of it yeah. is about them fighting over a man or men or talking about a man or men. But then at the end, yeah. the whole thing is framed as... 
her being this saviour to her daughter when Barbara Hershey passes away. Yes. I still haven't gotten over that. I'm yes. I think families are important. I think dynamics between women that aren't all smiley, happy, touchy, feely. Yeah. Passing the Bechdel test in one scene about something ludicrous is not necessarily passing the test. What we're looking for is a realistic exploration of what women think and talk about and what actions they take in their lives. Yeah. And so, therefore, you can have a film which is kind of abhorrent in terms of how it treats women, but it can still pass the Bechdel test yeah. because there's a scene where two women talk about flowers. And it's like, I don't know about you, I like flowers, I don't talk about them very much mm. to women or men. Unless they're, like, dying and they need to be, like, put in a bin. And that's normally about my ability to kill flowers. Yeah, mine too. is actually what I talk <laughs> about. So, yeah, so you, you have gone with... Do you think that when you were thinking about this... It was easier for you to think, where are there lots of female characters? Yeah. 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 And then this isn't also just me. This is, like, I've asked a number of people. Because ah. I, looked, I looked up on Wikipedia that apparently it's like, uh, well, my husband actually looked it up because we were talking about it, um, and he said the percentage of things that pass the Bechdel test is something like 48%. I'm like, are you sure? No, he needs to listen to episode one, hubby. What's his name? <laughs> Chris. Got, Chris, there's some stats that I need to... Um, yeah. Wikipedia is wrong. Don't no. look at Wikipedia, kids. They're, they're, well, mm, there were periods of time where things are getting better and there are a higher percentage. I'm willing to put my you know, um, uh, foot on the line now and say I don't think it's ever been 48% of all films that no, have I can't been released think in the world. I, really I would love for that. Well, obviously, I want 75%. I want all the films to. But we wouldn't be in. here. We wouldn't, have, so. we wouldn't have anything to talk about. I'll still find something <laughs> to talk about. Um, I'm just going to throw three at you really yes, quickly because I know I've been talking for no, a really this is long great. time. Um, Juno, <gasps> yes, I think, passes. I think Get Out passes kind of. Because mother and daughter. Mother and daughter, mm. but also because the females are the two that hold all the power in that dynamic. So... Um, Are we coming up with the Courtney test? Maybe. So, so the mother is the she's the yes. instigator with, the, with yeah. the hypnotism. The daughter is the one that effectively drags him into this mess and then hides the keys at the end. And you know, it's all you know. She she's in the denouement. She's trying to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin this for anyone who hasn't seen it because it's bloody If you haven't seen it, get out. Oh, see it. Turn off this podcast and go and watch it. Just see it. <laughs> yeah. I'm obsessed think, with Daniel Kaluuya. I think that I, I'm really happy <clears throat> that it does pass because I haven't actually thought about it. Um, I think that I was going to say immediately, and I'll stop myself, well, get out is breaking so many other barriers. Maybe mm. I can edit off. But no. I won't. No. But I do think those two char- characters are, like you said, like imperative to the plot. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, the Courtney test could be... Yes! Women, powerful, powerful women on screen. Yeah. What do you want? Will you pass a Courtney test if you've got a... But then would... Because I was thinking about Goddard films, because I like... Okay. I really like sort of that 60s stylized crap. Um, and none of that passes because no. it's terrible. It's terrible. Like the whole thing is just women, like in you know, almost enslaved to men. 
Stanley but, Kubrick's one of my favourite directors. I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head if a single one of his I films pass. If it does, it'll be Eyes Wide Shut and it'll be Nicole Kidman talking to her daughter. But her daughter's barely in it. I don't think there are two women talking to each other in that, and I still think he's one of the greatest directors ever. So, uh, you know... What about the scene in the, the, like the party where all the prostitutes are? Yeah. I'm not entirely not sure really whether they're two talking about <laughs> sex. It's kind of what I was going they're for. They're not really chatting. But, um, uh, and it's very heteronormative as well. Anyway, I don't is. even think there's really any lesbian stuff going on, and if there is, it's there only is. for the tantalising of men. Yeah, no, that's exactly so what it is. that's <laughs> yeah. But I still love Eyes Wide Shut. So what do you do? Um, and my final one that I'm going to discuss with you is Mother. Oh, I haven't seen Mother, and I oh, should. Okay. I'm too scared. Yeah, it's it's. I didn't want to see it at the cinema because in case I needed to leave. So I, I, <laughs> I thought I would watch it on TV. I went to the cinema to watch it. <gasps> did you want to leave? <laughs> I, I, I did sit there, <clears throat> excuse me, um, with kind of my fingers in my ears and then my hands kind of over my eyes like this for a bit because I just didn't understand what the hell was happening. And I think that's the whole point of the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are. Uh, it's, it's a Michelle Pfeiffer, Jennifer Lawrence inter exchange that I'm talking about here. Um, and again, it's about Michelle Pfeiffer exerting this this power over Jennifer Lawrence that maybe on the surface of it looks like it's about men, but it's got nothing to do with men at all. It's got to do with her being able to control um, this situation. Why don't you want kids? Excuse me. I saw how you reacted earlier. I know what it's like when you're just starting out and you think you have all the time in the world. And, you know, you're not going to be so young forever. Have kids. Then you'll be creating something together. This is all just... setting. I'm very happy with the stealth Bechdel passing. Yeah. I, I like the idea of it looks like it might not be and then it, it is. I'd rather it was just generally, but I think that passes the Courtney test. Yes! I think, yeah. Oh, We've definitely got that here. I love having a test name bar for me. So. <laughs> My head's just got like really big. <laughs> um, do you have any favourite films that completely fail it? Like, do you have any comedy films you know? Um... Oh, I really like Pretty in Pink. Yeah. But that's just like a Well, that's hard for, to pass because her best friend's a guy and she yeah. loves a guy. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and the only the only conversation she has with women is Iona in the record store. Mm. And that's and all pet, about... Parent? No, it's a parent. Is she single? It's a dad. Is it a single yeah, dad? Yeah, she's with her dad. Yes. Her mum's dead. Do you like the concept of the Bechdel test? I think it's really interesting. I'd never heard of it before. Um, I had a big fight with my sister in Australia. She's like, it's the Bechdel test. And I'm like, are you oh. sure? It looks, like, it looks like it's a hard C to me. And then everyone else I spoke to said it was like Bechdel. And then you said I would it was love if I've been doing this podcast <laughs> for like 20 episodes. Well, she's an actor. I'm saying it wrong. She's an actor. So I'm, oh. I'm confident in Bechdel. She says... <laughs> Let's just run with it. Beyond Bechdel, no, can't work. Because no, it sounds like bechamel. Yeah. And then that Beyond just makes Bechamel, hungry. yeah. <laughs> the cheese, how cheesy yeah. is this film? That's a good test. Yeah. We should have Beyond Bechamel Oh my God, test. I know lots of cheesy films. Oh, and probably none of them pass the Bechdel, <laughs> so they all pass the Bechamel test. That's brilliant. Um, 
yeah, so, so when you heard it, you liked the idea? Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting, um, like... What were, those, what were those things we used to have in high school before we had computers, like the overhead projectors? Yeah. So, you know, you know those, the, um, like the clear... Like, my, my fish? Or there was another name, yeah. Yeah, it was like, it yeah. Was like a projector you, you, or something. You, you drew on with pens. Yeah. and you'd use this, like, see-through yeah. acetate. Acetate, yeah. It's a really interesting acetate to put over a film. Yes. Um, is kind of the way I like to yeah, think about it. Yeah, that's a beautiful analogy. Oh, thank you. Um... <laughs> So, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend my entire life thinking about it, and I'm probably not gonna throw a, a movie in the bin because it doesn't pass it if I've really enjoyed that film. But it will make me much more aware and much more conscious of what I'm seeing, and I think that's important. I think that's very important. It's in a way, it's enriched my life. Yes. And it's also ruined my life. Yeah, see, because that's what I'm worried about. I can't watch anything now or read anything mm. without noticing. Yeah. And once you realise the extent of the problem, then um yeah, it can be depressing. However, when you watch something that does pass and passes beautifully, yeah. it's it it makes the experience even greater. Yeah. So I have another question. Okay. Uh, has anyone ever had Crohn's depicted in a film? In a film? Or a, t- or a TV show. I suppose a documentary might be a slightly different thing because that would be the focus of yeah. it. Yeah, there's, there's been documentaries. Yeah. Um, none of them are very upbeat. Um, the last one I saw was about some guy in a band that's apparently famous. I've clearly never heard of them. Um, and he's got Crohn's. Um and they, it was on the BBC, it's a BBC Three thing, and they flashed up like four things about Crohn's disease at the very beginning. The last one was, you can die of Crohn's, and I'm like, I'm going to turn this off now. <laughs> oh, God. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> Feeling really good about myself. Cheers. <laughs> Do you think you have um, like heightened senses for any disability when you watch anything? Yes, I do now. So is there anything that you've thought that springs to mind that you've enjoyed, if that's the right word, or noticed, or um, been no, happy to see? I think, I think I just get really pissy about certain ways things are represented. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I can get oversensitive. I think I can get... I, I can go too far. Because if that person... I'm, I'm thinking of a particular comedy thing that I saw the other day on the Jim Jeffries show which is again a topic that I wanted to talk about we've been here for like eight hours um, because I, I don't know how my feminism sits with also enjoying really offensive male comedians make jokes about stuff that probably shouldn't be funny but I find really funny offensive to women? offensive generally uh, yeah just yeah um, that's a whole separate subcategory of comedy thing. yeah um and it was a it was a small person, and they were taking the mick out of him um, on purpose. Like the guy had obviously signed up for this because he was in costume and he knew what was happening. Um, because the final actor who had played one of the Munchkins passed away, and they, they were just it was just a skit. And I got really pissy about it. Um, and I think I ended up getting pissy about it because someone who, again who I peripherally know through the comedy scene who um, uh, is. Um, someone who suffers with dwarfism, um, was on an Australian TV program that day 
um, called Q&A, which is effectively the same thing as Question Time, mm-hmm. talking about disability. And she started getting trolled on Twitter, mm-hmm. like immediately. Just hideous, hateful. Just simply because, because of she's the autism. Because she's small. And I just think that's it's troglodyte behaviour. Yes. And I kind of, I think because I was already in that headspace, I reacted very, very badly to that joke. And I watched it again with my husband and he's like, this guy's getting paid for it. He didn't have to do it. You know, he's he's in on the joke. He, they're not taking the piss out of him. They're, they're taking the piss out of this entire situation. That's one where I'd have to see it. Yes. Because I think that making you part of the joke doesn't excuse the joke sometimes. Yeah. Because I wonder if you ask people do you have the option of taking part in a comedy skit about something else or taking part in a comedy skit where that's... I, I get that that's what some people trade off of. Yeah. But, um... And Jim Jeffries definitely does. Yeah. But I want... Yeah, that makes me feel uncomfortable because yeah. that sounds like your husband excusing it. But not for a... This is the problem with um, a bias and discrimination is that everyone thinks it's just someone saying, oh, look, you're a dwarf, and then saying some epithet. It's never as simple as pure discrimination. No, it's, it's not. It's about the constructs in which we uh, normalise it. And is it taking the piss out of discrimination by the way it's being handled? So I think Jim Jeffries can really touch on that a lot by being so freaking outrageous and saying things that no person in their right mind would ever say as a joke and then and then doing this incredible intelligent speech on gun control in America. I mean, you see where these two things sit together. You know where the where his real opinion is. And it's and it's you know it's in the right hand. It's not the left. Yeah. He's trying to make fun of how ridiculous stuff is sometimes by pointing out just by saying it. It is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but, but you have to you be bring, so careful. Yeah. You bring the people in to kind of go yeah 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 just to then say no you're wrong. Yeah. And I think that can be a public service, but also I think that sometimes people are just blind to their own. This is the problem Doug Stanhope has had here recently. So there's a comedian called Doug Stanhope, um, another American guy. Um, Jim Jeffries is an American. Um, Men, boo, anyway. (laughs) Um, um, He's he's been here recently and he has this reputation for being a really big boozy, um, like quite offensive comedian. And he had the worst run of shows he has ever had and said he's never coming back to the UK because the audience were turning up after having been drinking for nine hours beforehand because they thought that's what happened and then heckling him in the show, having fights in the show. People were getting Because they thought out. that was all the normal behaviour because of how thing. he... Yeah. Because he'd normalised that behaviour yeah. as part of his routine. Yeah. And he got so frustrated with it. And I don't blame him. I mean, he's paid a lot of money to come here and do these tours. Oh, I'm going to have a wise smile. <laughs> kind of walked into it, didn't I? I, I yeah, I think that I, 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 I don't want to give any more comments on comedy because I think anyone who stands up there is doing a very brave job. Yeah, but I hope for uh, less discrimination across the board in yeah. comedy and I don't think I'm going to hold my breath in 2018. Maybe 2019? <laughs> Maybe. That's when I'm doing my live at the Apollo. They don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I will come to that and then awesome. finally exhale. Awesome. <laughs> Go on, 
Courtney Hodgkiss, thank you so much. Thank for you. This. Thank you. Thank you so much to Courtney for such a brilliant conversation. And I hope that everyone enjoyed the little comedy skits that were inserted in between the interview and weren't offended by them in any way. Um, Beyond Bechdel is taking a hiatus for a couple of weeks as we're going to take a much needed holiday. But we will be back hopefully in August with more episodes. So for now, to play us out, one of Courtney's and my own favourites the theme to Gilmore Girls from Carol King Bye All you have to do is become a new